0: the Annex A Sociology Podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Today we talk about CPAC, the bulwark, and political puritanism. My co-hosts are Gabriel Rossman from the University of California, Los Angeles, and Timothy Gill from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Our discussion was recorded on March 6, 2019.
1: got an item and this is kind of like inside right wing baseball so i'm assuming that i'm our only listener who knows all this stuff (laughs) Uh, but the so a week ago you had um cpac uh Mm -hmm. which i forget what it stands for basically it's the the big conservative conference slash trade show and Mm. (laughs) the (laughs) <laughs> trade show. Well, Very it really good. is yes, kind of a is. trade show, you know, for like... <laughs> yeah, it is. So, um, <laughs> and it, the the magazine, the online magazine, The Bulwark, which is basically the, um, you know, about half the people who were at the Weekly Standard are now at The Bulwark after um, the Weekly Standard's publisher shut it down in order to cannibalize its mailing list to launch a new magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is Bill Crystal's. Uh, magazine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, in interest of full disclosure, I, sh- I should mention that um, a pretty good friend of mine is one of the editors of The Bulwark. Um, so, anyway, so The Bulwark sent um, a correspondent named uh, Molly Jung Fast to cover CPAC. And um, her coverage of it, both in her tweets and to a lesser extent in her coverage for the site, played up how absurd. Uh, and ridiculous it was and kind of made fun of everybody there. Mm. And what's so there's two things that are interesting about this. Number one, people have been saying this about CPAC forever. So Mm. as long as I remember hearing about CPAC from the very big, like the very first time I heard about CPAC, I remember people saying it was ridiculous, it was a freak show, it's, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. crazy charlatans, um, that sort of thing. And this is not like reading this in media matters. You know, people on the right have – been kind of embarrassed of CPAC and seen it as a freak show, even if it's one that they have to attend for a long time. Right. So in the same way that sociologists might talk about like, oh, did you see that booth at um, ASA where, (laughs) you know, they were handing out flyers trying to convince us to abolish private property. Mm. uh, And then right next to the booth where they're selling wooden jewelry, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, Uh. (laughs) wooden and hemp jewelry. right? So, uh, you know, people on the right would say the same kind of things about CPAC that it's like, crazy. Mm -hmm. And people have been saying that forever. But for some reason, when Molly Jung fast said this for the bulwark, um, there was a reaction against it. And it was seen as illegitimate criticism, specifically coming from her Mm -hmm. and coming from the bulwark. Okay. And so this got me thinking of this as like a little incident that illustrates, under what circumstances can you criticize your own side, Mm -hmm. like under what circumstances will people accept criticism, or even mockery, And say like, yeah, that's right. It's it's kind of stupid. Uh, and under what circumstances will they get defensive? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it has to be that if you are seen as a member of the group in good standing, you can criticize and mock it. But if you're seen as at all disloyal to the group, um, you can be the mockery will be seen as illegitimate Mm. coming from you. So, you know, if the same criticisms that appeared in National Review or on Fox News, mm-hmm. uh, people would have laughed at them and thought, like, "Yeah, that's a good point." It's making fun of CPAC, and CPAC's always been stupid. Mm-hmm. But uh, coming from the bulwark, which increasingly has kind of a marginalized reputation within the right, mm-hmm. um, because it has a reputation for being more interested in being explicitly anti-Trump than about defending the kind of conservatism that exists before Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, which in theory, there's not necessarily a contradiction there, but it's more like. They're more likely to write about what's going on with the Mueller investigation than to write about, you know, uh, conservative policy priorities. Right. Um, if, you, if you get what I mean. And so, coming from that perspective, it was seen as illegitimate criticism, and particularly because the the correspondent Molly Jung Fast, is herself uh, not not especially conservative. Um, I mean, I don't know what she believes issue by issue, but the one that people really uh, jumped on was that she's pro-choice, mm. and. Um, and so her criticism of it was seen as illegitimate. Uh, so anyway,
0: so do you have guys have any thoughts because I feel like I'm just telling you? No way. no is this uh, is, is this sort of a byproduct of negative partisanship where everybody where politics now is like uh, defending from the barbarians outside the gates and everybody's looking for the slightest bit of disloyalty because it's no longer about like, are we advancing these policies or that policies, but rather it's like a fear of our enemies that motivates everything. And
1: yeah, yeah, I I think that's, I think that's totally true. Um, that, you know, there's negative part, you know, partisanship is much more intense Mm. and in particular there's negative partisanship and that, um, you know, heightens the defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although I would say it could go even broader than that, you know, so, um, it, and it doesn't just have to be about partisanship. It could be anyone who has kind of a dubious claim to group membership mm-hmm. uh, has less right to um, mock the group mm-hmm. than somebody else. So, for instance, if uh, you know I, I were to uh, make a Jewish joke, that might come across less well than if you, Joe, were to make a Jewish joke, because you know I'm an apostate no. and you're not. So, you know, so go ahead. No, but I mean it because I have a dubious claim
0: to uh, group membership. It could, uh, it could. Yeah. There's another possibility too, right? And you could see this as sort yeah. of a market dynamics of the media business, where mm-hmm. it basically had the Weekly Standard made had those claims been made by the Weekly Standard, they would not have been attacked or other media other outlets might not have felt it worthwhile to go up against the weekly standard because it's place, it's, it's command of its niche was insured. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's part of it too. And, and actually in the Bulwark's reply to this, they, mm-hmm. they basically said like, you know, we have an emerging brand, Yeah, you know, and, you know, and, and I think that's a big part of it is that they don't have a firmly settled brand yet. And to the extent they do have a brand that like, you know, I'm sure if you go through and read them religiously, you'd see they have all sorts of things. But, like, if you're not a regular reader of them, all you know about them is that they uh, devote a high proportion of their uh, publicity to complaining about the president. Right. Um, and and what I thought was especially interesting about this is that you didn't just see this from the kind of Trumpkin types. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw this from conservatives who hate Trump. Well,
0: that's the competition. You're knocking out the competition for command of that niche.
1: Yeah, but that's not generally how these things work. Generally, people, you know, um, support people who they agree with, even if they're at you know people who in, like you're saying are in the same niche. It's not like a political primary where you know you you attack the person who's in your lane rather than. Uh, the person who's on the opposite side of the party
0: if i'm on a blog if i'm uh, if yeah. i'm a writer on a blog that's jockeying to be the preeminent outlet for anti-trump conservatism and i know that my mm-hmm. crosstown rivals have exposed themselves uh, for some type of weakness then uh you know i and somebody wants to write a hit piece on them you know why not
1: yeah, I, I don't think it's that mercenary, though. I, I think these people generally did feel aggrieved. That um, And the one that you saw over and over was the idea that um, Jung Fast had been making fun of um, pro lifers. Mm. And so it, this was not from people who were like, oh, you know, I'll get this many more page views if they go out of business. It, it was really more from people who were like, they're attacking people like me who are very sincere about it. And even if some of those people have made opposite tactical decisions about whether to rally around a, a serial adulterer and a creep, um, right. you know, so for instance, I'm thinking in particular of uh, Alexandra De DeSanctis at National Review, mm-hmm. who um, is a, you know, hates the president and vote for the president mm-hmm. as far as I know. Um, but she, you know, she reacted very harshly against Jung Fast things because she saw Jung Fast as attacking uh, pro-life
0: people. Maybe they want that to be the purity test, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's right. Um, but there's a there's a sense in which you have to be a member in good standing of the group in order to criticize it. And so, if um, you know someone who is a more orthodox conservative had made the same criticisms of CPAC, I don't think anybody would have thought twice about it. Hmm.
2: Yeah, no. I I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, with Venezuela, you know, I get called, you know, an apologist for the socialist dictatorship and a stooge for, um, you know, the Trump administration by other people. And I think, uh, yeah, there is, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense about being a member in good standing. You know, I did a podcast a few weeks ago and I leveled a lot of criticism against the Maduro government in Venezuela. And then, you know, there's a lot of comments on Twitter and Facebook that, you know, who is this, uh, uh, you know, professor in the U S leveling these criticisms against, you know, the Maduro government that's in, you know, that's, that's, uh, representing the working class and the popular populations and all the rest of it. And then some people were responding with, no, you know, I've read Tim Gill's work before he's, he's an anti-imperialist. He's critical of the CIA. And there was all this, there was all this discussion about, you know, are you an insider or an outsider? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like it wasn't about the ideas themselves, but it was, who are the criticisms coming from and the same criticisms will come from people that, you know, whatever on the ground in uh, that are involved in sort of like uh, workers councils or communes in Venezuela who will level the same sorts of criticism, but you often won't find these, you know, debates about, okay, are they, are they on the team? Or are they not on the team? So it was almost, yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes I, I, you can just readily see how people, It's like they approach politics. I mean, this isn't an insight or anything, but just as sort of like a a team sport, you know, like are you on the team or are you not? And if you're not, if you're allegedly not on the team and you want to level criticism, then we're not going to take you seriously. And uh, yeah, I find it a little unfortunate that there's often less engagement with the ideas than, you know, who is it coming from? You know, I see that as the logical fallacy of our age.
0: It's like that people judge thoughts by the ideas Identity of the person conveying it. You know, it is, Mm. it's a logical fallacy. You should be judging arguments on their stated merits and the mouth that it's coming from should not be relevant. And it seems like it's, that is the fallacy that is just, it's so important to political discourse today. Right. Where everybody, and maybe it always has been, and we're naive to think that there was a past age where people, you know, were, reasoning well i'm sure it was even worse in the past but it's just one of the problems today is like uh you have to forge an identity and the identity gives you credentials uh and uh it it doesn't make sense from like a logical standpoint like it's poor reasoning to 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 need to work out the identity before you judge the content of
2: the argument right right yeah, I mean, I I love when <laughs> when people say that you know this is coming from somebody who's studied Venezuela or is you know somebody called me brilliant the other day. I was just thrilled, <laughs> couldn't disagree. But uh, you know, but yeah, exactly what you said. Um, I mean, I think that it should just like, it should be about the ideas. You know, are the ideas sound or are they not? Not so much emphasis discussing. You know, my previous writings. Am I truly a uh, revolutionary? Am I not? You know, what I mean. I don't see what the difference makes. I mean, yeah, our experiences matter and we're coming from particular points of view, but uh, also to a certain extent, you know, the arguments that we put forth, you know, we want to put forth, you know, every time I'm writing, I'm trying to put forth evidence, just not um, in my armchair, just uh, rattling things off, but uh, putting forth arguments with evidence and, and, uh, and trying to make, you know, data-driven Assertions and so, but yeah, the, I, I totally agree with uh, what Gabriel's saying. There, There is this sort of play, there is this sort of game at play where you know, are they on the team? Are they not on the team? Um, mm. and that sometimes you know, uh, has bearing on whether or not we should take this criticism seriously or, or otherwise. Yeah, so you're obviously brilliant because you just agreed
1: with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: listening to The Annex, an academic sociology podcast. You can visit our show site at sociocast.org slash annex. We are on Twitter at SochAnnex and on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Leseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joseph Cohen. Thank you for listening.